Remember when the 49ers lost three games in a row and everyone's saying Brock Purdy wasn't the guy? Who? Mm. Remind me, Chase. Who were the guys? Was there a podcast anywhere that said maybe you guys should all just chill the freak out about Brock Purdy and he's actually going to be pretty good? What's the name of that show? I can't remember it. Chasing it. Bang! All right, week 14, welcome in to another edition of Chasing It for the 33rd team. Trey Wingo here with Chase Daniel. And Chase, one of the big games on Sunday was obviously uh, the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. It did not disappoint. It lived up to the hype. But once again, the Kansas City Chiefs disappoint. Uh, They lose back-to-back games for the first time since October of 2021. They're now 8-5. and And the division, let's be honest, the division is in play right now because... They have a one-game lead over Denver, of the Denver Broncos, who had a big win in L.A. over the Chargers. And there is no reason to feel like Kansas City can just waltz into the playoffs and just make sure they – I mean, this is going to be a dogfight for them to at least claim another division crown. Yeah, it's just not the same old Kansas City Chiefs that we're seeing, right, Trey? And, and we've talked about it before. We talked about a lot the receiver room once again. Some drops by the receiver room, but no bigger mistake than Kadarius Tony lining up in the neutral zone on that. I mean, that play to Travis Kelsey, where he actually threw it back to Kadarius yeah. Tony, that was not planned. That was not planned. No, that was Travis no. just saying, I'm just going to take a shot through a perfect. Like, that was one of the craziest football plays I have ever seen. And I have seen, I've seen the Minnesota Miracle. Like, I've, I've been yeah. in a lot of crazy places. Okay. So that play in that atmosphere, and then. They're celebrating. They're happy. No neutral zone infraction. You saw Patrick Mahomes. Like, you never see Patrick Mahomes get crazy. I'm sure he wanted to do that to Kadarius Tony, but he did it to the rest anyway. Like, are you kidding me? You're going to call an offensive offsides at this point? Like, you could read his lips. And so the road just becomes tougher because they, they are not getting home field throughout. Like, there's just – I just can't imagine a world where they're going to be the number one seed based on already five losses. And like you said, it's the Russell Wilson-led Broncos who demolish the Chargers in L.A. that are now one game back of first place, and their defense is rolling. Things are not looking good right now in Kansas City. Yeah, we'll get to the Buffalo side of this in the equation. And kudos to them finding a way to win after the bye and all the stuff that came out this week with what Sean McDermott said using a horrible analogy a couple of years ago. We'll get to that. But let's talk specifically first about Kansas City. They lost the first game of the season. Then they ripped off six straight wins. They were 6-1. and one. Yeah. They're now 8-5. and five. Let's put that another way. They're 2-4 and four in their last six games. They've now lost three games in the months of November and December in the regular season. The last two seasons combined – they lost a grand total of two games after uh, the calendar turned to November, November, December, and January. So this yeah. team is, is, is problematic. And I'm not taking anything away from the Buffalo Bills when I say the only team that seems to beat the Chiefs is the Kansas City Chiefs. Rashi Rice is, is the go-to guy that, that Patrick Mahomes feels good about in the wide receiver position. But even he had a costly fumble uh, that led to uh, a drive stalling out, right? Then you have Kadarius Tony. we mentioned it, dropping, dropping a, a pass on a second and 12 that would have picked up a first down that really stalled another drive. And then lining up 
in the neutral zone on what should have been the game uh, go-ahead touchdown. There still was time left on the clock, the go-ahead touchdown. This is a pattern we've seen all year from the Kansas City Chiefs. And for people saying, well, how can you make that call? It was the right call. It's unfortunate it was the right call. We saw that in the AFC Championship game in 2018 yeah. when D. Ford lined up offsides in what would have been oh, a game-ending yes. interception of Tom Brady by Daniel Sorensen. So this is nothing new. The question for the Chiefs is simply this. Can they clean this shit up? Okay, it's it's all it's yeah. still literally all there for them. But can they just stop making the stupid mistakes? Well, I mean that's that's the story of the year, right? That's the story of the Chiefs, and time and time again. And I got to give you credit because you've you've been on it from the start. It's literally like the only team that can be the Chiefs is the Chiefs, and you saw it again tonight. But like you look at their schedule down the road, they're probably going to finish twelve and five. Like there's a good chance they finish twelve and five. Um, they they should win the rest of their games. Twelve and five is not getting a one seed. You're you're probably going to win the division if things go your way, okay. And if you win out, and you're going to get a home playoff game. But Patrick Mahomes has never, never played a road playoff game. So I don't know how he's going to yeah. be in the cold. Is it is it a is it a warm game? Is it not? Like where is it at? And so that's the issue. And I think the frustration. I mean, I just go back to Patrick Mahomes and how he was acting on the sideline like that. That showed me something like he is fed up. He is frustrated. He is used to perfection, dude. He is used to winning. He hates losing two and four in their last six or whatever you were saying. Like, it's just not good. And, and, I, and I know it's just they're running out of time. Like, I know they want to get it fixed. And I sent this tweet out today that got a lot of like, oh, uh, like, oh, my gosh, about Kadarius Tony. Like, honestly, like, I just felt bad for him. The first drop. I do not feel bad for him lining off sides in the neutral zone. No. Like, it's just, it's the thing that I think that they're pressing. And sometimes as a team, when you go through rough patches, the worst thing you can do is press. And that just means try, just trying so hard. You're trying to look the ball into, like, you just got to be free. You got to play free. And no better coach, honestly, than Andy Reid to get that stuff fixed. But, it, but they're wasting time and they're losing time. They don't have much time left. That's the, that's the biggest issue for me is you're probably going to win the next four looking at the next. Like, okay, that's great. But how are you going to be they have the, yeah, they, they have the e, They have the easiest strength of schedule. They have the easiest strength of schedule of anybody going forward. Uh, you know, Cincinnati now is above 500 after the win today. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, this, this is – there's no reason for them not to finish 12. They play the Patriots. Okay, they play the Patriots. They've got the Raiders who couldn't score against the Vikings. They've got the Chargers who are broken and who knows what's going on with Justin Herbert. And they have Cincinnati. Like, that's their schedule. Yeah. They should absolutely be 12-5 and five 12 and if five. they just yeah. don't stop shooting themselves in the foot. Um, now let's talk about Buffalo. Because Buffalo with this win moves to 7-6. and six. And that sounds great, right? Hey, we're 500. We're moving in the right direction. They're one of six teams in the AFC that is seven and six. And of those six teams, guess who's last right now in all that ranking? That would be the Buffalo Ooh. Bills. They oh. went into this game, they went into this game as the 11th seed in the AFC when seven make the postseason. And even with the win, they're still the 11th seed. So this was a huge win. They had to have it, but nothing really has changed for them. But I, I think we, we need to sort of appreciate the things that Josh Allen is doing, because he had another interception, right? He had all those turnovers. We understand that. He's also ridiculously good. Like on that play, it was a third and nine where, you know, he hits Latavius Murray. And by the way, I still don't think Latavius Murray had possession of that ball. I don't. How is that I didn't catch? see possession. Thank you. Thank you. How I still don't see. 
Yes. It, it wasn't, in my opinion. I have no idea what Even they saw Roma was saying to keep that. that. I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. yeah. He never he never had full possession. But that play doesn't exist if Josh Allen isn't a superhero. Another thing on the on the on the field goal uh, that gave them the lead that eventually were the game winning points. Nick Bolton had him dead to rights in his first game back since dislocating <laughs> yeah. that wrist against the Chargers, and he somehow shook it off and was able to make a one yard completion. You know that Tyler Bass kick from. 30, whatever, whatever it was, would have been from closer to 50 had he not uh, avoided that sack. So Josh Allen is doing, he's doing superhuman things. He's the reason the Bills still have a chance to get into the postseason. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, I really like the way the Bills are playing. I know their 11 seed came in. But that AFC is a log jam. Like, the next four or five weeks are going to be some wild games, some wild finishes. You look at the schedules, Bill's got some tough teams left. And, and I, you, you go back to Josh Allen, but I go back to like Sean McDermott and how that defense is playing. That defense is letting these guys have a chance to win. And you go back to really the, um, to the coordinator change. That's what I go back to going to Joe Brady. Yeah. Okay. It looks like they completely changed the whole dynamic of how the team is playing since then they played really good defense. They've run the ball more. They haven't put Josh Allen in situations where he has to be Superman. Now he will be Superman just like he was today in that game when times need be. But I go back to even the Philly game and the two minute drive, right? To go down and tie the game in Philly before Philly, Philly win. It was six runs, two screens, quick game and a play action pass. So like Joe Brady, I think, is a catalyst that we're not talking a lot about. Now, he can only do so much, right? He can call the plays, but I think the plays he's calling, like being the quarterback coach in a meeting room is really important because in general, the quarterback coach usually goes to the offensive coordinator with either your complaints as a quarterback or your likes as a quarterback. Now, it is go, they're going right to one another because Joe Brady is the quarterback coach. You know, he's calling plays, but they're in the same meeting room. He's running the meetings. So I think that communication issue has really been fixed with the Buffalo Bills. And you love how Josh Allen is playing. Like, he's, probably, he's good for one turnover a game. That's just how he is. Yeah, but the absolutely. way he is playing right now, like, and the way the Buffalo Bills are playing, like, this could be – I'm not saying it will be. This could be a season-defining win for Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, meaning like, hey, this, okay, this is who we are as a team. Let's continue that. And sometimes as a team, all you need is that little push, that little push over the edge. They went, they went toe-to-toe with the Eagles, almost beat them. You go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs in Arrowhead, you beat them, which is notoriously one of the most difficult places to play. So you got to love what the Bills have been doing and what they have plan for the future because I like the way they're playing right now. Well, it doesn't get any easier for Buffalo. Uh, they'll take on the Dallas Cowboys next week. It's back in Buffalo. So, I mean, they're, they're still, and they've still got to play Miami. They're, they're, their schedule is still very difficult, but Josh yeah. Allen did enough in this game. I, although I will say, like, uh, we're throwing flowers to Joe Brady right now. I have no idea what he's doing uh, or throwing the ball three times uh, when they that when was, the Chiefs yeah. only had two timeouts down there. Like, like they, they allowed Kansas City to have life because of that, that play calling situation. I'll give you that the communication is probably good. Yeah. Did not like in any way, shape, or form yeah. those play calls around the two-minute drill that led to the game-winning field goal by Tyler Bass. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Buffalo still has a chance. The road is very difficult. Kansas City just needs to stop. Oh, here's a hammer. I'm going to hit myself in the forehead with it. Just stop <laughs> doing that, and Kansas City will be fine, and they'll host a home playoff game and win the AFC West another time. So some surprising, really interesting games and games that were – 
really way more competitive than I think a lot of people thought they were going to be. One of those was the game uh, between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Indianapolis Colts. Look, Jake Browning was unbelievable in the Monday night win over Jacksonville. Even though he had to leave the game with a little bit of a thumb injury, uh, he was uh, terrific in this game as they go out and pound Gardner Minshew and the Colts. Where are we on Cincinnati being able to, to survive without Joe Burrow with the way Jake Browning is playing? Well, you look at the last two games, right? Beat the Colts very, I mean, right in the thick of the playoff race. And they go, they'll go down to Jacksonville the game before and, and beat Jacksonville. And, and I just go back, honestly, like not much has changed. Their defense playing a little bit better against Gardner Minshew and the Colts. I think Gardner Minshew and the Colts were like the 10th or 9th best scoring yeah. offense in the National Football League, only held them to 14 points, I think. Um, and so I, the defense is starting to play a little bit better, but my, I go back to the quarterback. Quarterback's most, posi- most important position in sports, and you look at Jake Browning and what he's been able to do over the past three or four weeks since Joe Burrow has gone down. First of all, he's gotten a lot more comfortable just in general at the line of scrimmage, calling cadences, talking in the huddle, like all these things that fans, they take for granted. Like it, it takes a little bit of time when your entire offense is used to one way with Joe Burrow and your entire team goes Jake Browning. Okay. And Jake Browning has played excellent. He's looked a lot more comfortable. And the thing I continue to go back to as well, and we said this a little bit last week and I said it uh, on NFL network the other day was like the coaching staff finally understands what Jake Browning does well. That is huge. That is hugely important because now they're starting to build game plans around Jake Browning. Now you got some really good playmakers. Jamar Chase is balling, T. Higgins is balling, Chase Brown jumping on the scene. Uh, he's been mix great. It. Like all of these guys, he's been great. And, and all these guys are making plays, but it just comes down to can Jake Browning keep this up? Because you look at the last two games. I thought, I personally thought the Jacksonville game was a little bit of a fluke because that's a difficult defense to prepare for. Jacksonville blitzes from all different sorts of ways. you got to have really good communication in pass game protection, stuff like that. But he just looks like calm, cool, and collected, man. Like cool, just cool. And so that's good to see. That's things you want to see. And it's surprising. I mean, I think since he's right in the thick of the playoff race, and I mean, that was actually a big game between the Colts and Cincy, between two teams that are trying to fight it out in that AFC playoff race. And and it's going to come down to, can they protect Jake Browning? Can Browning continue to play? What type of impact does his injury from the, it, it looked like it was like a thumb cramp. He came back into the game, finished it. I think it'd be all right. Although I've had an injury like that and it does not, feel good because obviously with no thumb you can't grip the football um but glad to see he was back out there because agent mccarran blast from the past was the guy who stepped in for him for a few plays so um i don't know if if since he wants to go down that path um but they 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 might have found something in jake browning right here listen uh we're talking to the king of backup quarterbacks so uh you when chase daniel says you're doing something well as a backup quarterback Consider it high praise indeed. Uh, Now let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns. For the first time this season, the Jags lost a game that was not played at Everbank Stadium. Uh, They're two and four in their home field. They were six and oh everywhere else. Now they're six and one. Uh, First of all, I want to say just kudos to Trevor Lawrence for going out there. Kid has never missed a game in his career. Since the start of 2021, only three quarterbacks have made every start. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and that might be in question now, and and Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence gutted it out there through three interceptions. And that's fine. And kudos to him for doing it. We need to have the Joe Flacco portion of the program. Okay? You and I have been saying this since September, since the first Monday night game of the year. When Aaron Rodgers went down with the torn Achilles, the Jets should have have signed Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, three touchdowns, 
308 yards, a functional quarterback against a team that came in with a winning record and is probably going to win their division. Like, I don't know why quarterback needy teams didn't take a bite on Joe Flacco before the Browns did. He, yeah, he's more than functioning, Trey. He's playing really good football. I mean, that's the thing yeah. that you like about him is he's playing winning football. He's not playing – they're not, like, losing in spite of him. They're winning because of him. And that's the thing that, you know, Steph, Kevin Stefanski came out today and said, hey, listen, Joe Flacco's our guy for the rest of the season. No kidding, he's your guy for the rest of the season. He's easily the best quarterback yeah. you have on the roster. He's over 300 yards. He's age 38. He's aging like fine wine. And he's honestly, like, when you actually, like, dive deep – and you look at what the Browns have been doing the past two games on offense, it's sort of what fits Joe Flacco right now because they are an under-center play-action, heavy play-action team taking shots down the field. Like, Joe's arm has not dropped off no. at all, which even gets to your point, like, the Jets, you could have had them. Like, I don't get it. And then so, so they have a heavy run game. They have a really good defense. Like, I feel like this Browns team, if Flacco continues to go, like, they're going to fly by Flacco. Like, however Flacco does, they're going to do. If the Browns uh, can play every game at home, that'd be awesome because their defense is yeah. a monster at home. So much better. Right? Like, yeah. so much better at home than on the road for, for some odd reason. But you got to sort of like what Joe Flacco did today. It's not just like a feel-good story from a week ago. This dude's playing good ball. He was on the couch two and a half weeks ago and now he's got the Browns in the middle of the playoff race yeah by the way just so people understand uh, he had three touchdown passes of 30 yards or more the last Cleveland Browns quarterback to do that in a game Brian Sipe in 1980. Okay, Who? That, that's how. Who? Yeah, exactly. You see, for those of you that don't know, there was a team called the Cleveland Browns. They were the Cardiac Kids. Brian Sipe, number 17, led them back time and time again. They lost a wild card game to the Raiders, and then the Raiders went on to be the first wild card team to head to the Super Bowl that year. Just some historical information. But Brian Sipe, number 17 in your program, was the last Cleveland Browns quarterback to throw three touchdown passes of 30 yards or more. That's how well Joe Flacco was playing. All right, so. The Jets did not go after Joe Flacco, and they turned back again to Zach Wilson today. And Zach Wilson played, without question, the game of his three-year NFL career. And yeah. look, I still don't see Zach as a long-term quarterback in the NFL with the way he's played. And there's all kinds of issues with the Jets from top to bottom on the offensive side of the ball. But you got to give the kid a lot of credit. You know, there was the report this week that he sort of had to be talked into going back out there. Like, you know, I'm not, no, I, I, I see how this is going. I'm not doing that. So whatever it was for this kid to be able to sort of put that all behind him and, and put together the game that he put together, I thought was actually really impressive. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really impressive. He's 27 to 36, 301, two touchdowns. There was a big goose egg by both teams in the first half. And the Jets score 30 in the second half. So it took him a while to get warmed up. And when he played, he just, and I, and I read some reports on Twitter uh, this morning and this afternoon, just getting ready for this game. I picked Houston to win. I, I thought they would win. It was a little bit of a wet game, but what, what I saw out of, out of Zach was something that I think that a lot of Jets fans were probably waiting to see forever. And that's just playing free, not worrying yeah. about making a mistake. If you do make a mistake, move on to the next play. Like you play in the biggest media market, probably in the world. And if you're worried about every single report that comes out, or you're worried about every single throw, or you're worried about like, Dude, just play the game of football. At the end of the day, this comes down to a game that you played as a kid growing up. He looked like old school BYU 
Zach Wilson yeah. on some of these runs. And they, like that's what he's he's not going to be the one to just beat you from the pocket. Like get out on the run scramble when stuff's not there, like take care of the football and you got a good enough defense to win some games. Now they're five and eight and, and you know, is Aaron Rodgers going to come back? That's what this whole talk is like, who cares, dude, like Zach Wilson, this is your time. I don't know if you're playing for a starting job in the league, but you're probably playing for your livelihood in the league moving forward. And today, man, great start. Like, cause the dude has gotten so much crap and you know this and, and probably some of it's rightfully so. But just keep yeah. playing like this so we can't give you any, man. That's all. It's, 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 yeah. it's been yeah. fun to watch. If it were only that simple. And then there are real concerns about the Texans. Obviously, uh, Tank Dell is out for the year. Uh, Nico Collins left this game. Dalton Gosh. Schultz didn't play. And now C.J. Stroud, you saw that, that Stroud, injury where, yeah. where that helmet just bounces off the turf. There are real concerns now for the Texans going forward, and they've been such a great story all season long. And what do we make now of the Detroit Lions, Okay. They were doing great until Thanksgiving. Then Green Bay came in and punched them in the mouth at Ford Field. Then they had a really uneven game against the Saints where they got ahead big. They let the Saints right back into it and and found a way to to close that game, although it was a little little shaggy, for lack of a better term. And now Justin (laughs) Fields and the Bears absolutely punked him in this game. So where's your level of concern? For, but they, they went for it on fourth and 10 at one point today in the game, and it led to a Jared Goff interception. I mean, at least Dan Campbell's going to go down being Dan Campbell. But, but where, yeah. what's your level of concern about the lack of a finishing kick we're seeing from Detroit? They've been sort of the golden boy of the NFC all season long. Yeah. Well, they're running through a little bit of a rough patch right now, and that's sometimes what teams go through. But it's a little bit concerning when it's like the Bears have gotten your number. Okay, Packer, like all these teams in your division, but it seems like when Jared Goff plays on the road, for whatever reason, if it's even slightly cold, they have issues. Now, I'm not saying this is all on Jared Goff, but it does look like they're a little lethargic out there. It's just hard to explain when you're watching the team and they're just not doing the things that they were doing early in the year. And and I will say that their defense from a number standpoint has gotten a lot worse. So I don't know if that's that offense trying to keep up with that defense and all these points they've been letting up these last three or four games. But it's just an interesting, it's an interesting conversation because even you and I, um, like a couple weeks ago, we were talking about them as a probable number one seed, impossible yeah. number one seed. Cause you looked at their schedule the rest of the way, it looked really winnable. And now you're saying like, man, like, I hope you can just like, I mean, they're going to probably win their division. Um, but like, that's the thing. It's like going into the playoffs and you got a couple weeks to figure this out. You don't want to hit a rough patch, right? Like too, too soon to the playoffs because that can sort of lag into the playoffs. So you just got to keep going, man. And, and it's just, it, it is crazy to me though. Like I go back to the Jared Goff on the road thing. He's just not the same on the road, man. For whatever reason, he's not the same. And then you go to the other side, right? With Justin Fields and the Bears. Right. That to me was as impressive a performance as, that I've seen. Okay. So that, look, that's the bigger issue going forward is because the Lions are going to make the playoffs. Where are the Bears now on their evaluation of Justin Fields? Because, you know, we have Caleb Williams. We have Drake May. There are all kinds of uh, attractive quarterbacks. But, you know, just go back and look at the 2021 draft and the 2022 draft when it comes to quarterbacks. 2022 was a home run across the board. 21 has been a mitigated, unmitigated disaster for almost everybody uh, that was taken in the first round of that draft. So are, are you, if you're the Bears, who have the very big potential to own maybe the top two picks in the draft, uh, are we, are, yeah, are we looking at the idea 
that maybe they just keep Justin Fields and start stacking around him, or do they start the spin cycle all over again? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, and that's honestly why Ryan Poles gets paid the big bucks, man. You get to make the decision. Yeah. You get to make the choice. Um, I'm glad I'm not in that position. But I will say that Justin Fields, for the most part of this season, when you are running an offense that fits his skill set, he has played extremely well. He has grown into a quarterback that I trust that can win a game. And it's not just like he's not sitting back there holding the ball four plus seconds, taking sacks anymore. He's unlocked his legs. That offense is more shotgun, spread it out, RPO. He's gotten a lot better throwing the ball down the field. Now, I say this because, look, at the end of the day, you got to, if you're Ryan Poles, you have a very tough decision because you got to sit and you got to evaluate the other quarterbacks in the draft, right? And, and the right. top two, in my opinion, will be Caleb Williams and Drake May going in. Now, do you want to start it all over again? With those two guys, if you pick one, or do you want to roll it back with Justin Fields, potentially draft a stud receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr., potentially draft a stud Hello. offensive yeah. tackle? I'm just saying there's there's a lot. That he, all I'm saying is, like, Justin Fields is making this situation really, really interesting. And I would say that it was not as interesting of a conversation about a month ago. When they're like, oh, we're drafting a guy, whatever. Like Justin Fields has proven to me, at least, and what do I know? But in these last few games that he deserves a legit shot in an offense with true playmakers. You draft Marvin Harrison Jr. You have DJ Moore. You have Darnell Mooney on the inside. You have Cole Komet. You firm up the offensive line. You got a legit shot, dude. Like I'm telling you. I, I, I really like the fact that what they could get, or possibly you draft one in the top three and then move back a couple spots and stockpile some picks. There's all sorts of scenarios that could play out. Yeah, listen, just so you know, the whole premise of this podcast is that you do know what you're talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and say you know a lot. So like, just <laughs> let's not downplay that because of the two of us, yeah. only one of us played a bazillion years in the NFL. So like, please, like, what do you know? Yes. What you know is important, okay? Just uh, I'm here to I'm here to self-validate that for you, Chase. Um, hey, <laughs> speaking you. speaking of self-validating you, remember when the 49ers lost three games in a row and everyone's saying Brock Purdy wasn't the guy? Who mm. remind me, Chase? Who were the guys? Was there a podcast anywhere that said maybe you guys should all just chill the freak out about Brock Purdy and he's actually going to be pretty good? What's the name of that show? I can't remember it. Chasing it. Bang. That's exactly right. And he did it again today. Big, big plays, big throws. Uh, Debo Samuel obviously is a weapon of all weapons. And people will say, oh, well, you know, that throw is eight yards down the field. Well, doesn't matter if that's the play to be made. Brock Purdy is making the right choice to make the play that leads them to points. Like, if you go across the board now, Chase, he's number one in a lot of categories in the NFL that people like. Like, passer rating, completion percentage, all this kind of stuff. He's doing the thing that you and I said he was going to do, even when people were doubting him during that three-game losing streak. I don't get it, Trey. I never have gotten these haters of Brock Purdy. They have not watched an ounce of film in their entire life, and if they have, they don't know what they're looking at. Once again, puts on an absolute perfection of a performance, man. The dude is balling out of his mind right now. He makes the 49ers go, point blank. End of story. Now, I will say Debo Samuel, five touchdowns last two games. Dude's on a heater. Okay, Brandon Ayuk yeah. on a heater. Got Get George Kittle involved on a heater. Like, they have some amazing playmakers. CMC, 70-plus yard run to start the game. Okay, awesome. 
But at the end of the day, dude, I'm telling you, you put anyone else in the position that Brock Purdy is in, the San Francisco 49ers are not the best team in the National Football League. And Brock, in that position, is not the front runner for the MVP because that, in my opinion, is what most valuable players stands for. And Brock Purdy, I don't know, I don't think anyone else could do it at the level he's been doing it the entire season. And not only this season, all of last season as well. How many more games do these freaking haters want out there to be put on tape for them to see and just continue to question them. I don't get it. I'm going to get super heated, super pissed off about it, but I'm not, I'm going to cool down because I think in my opinion, Brock's deserving of the love that comes his way. Yeah, no, you get heated. You get heated, boy. I love it. Get heated. Get all up in there. You, you get, you get it going because it's ridiculous at this point. And one of the weapons we didn't even mention was Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey started the game with a run of 70-plus yards, then they took him out, and the other running back vultured his touchdown. The point being, that's another weapon <laughs> that Brock Purdy has at his disposal, Christian McCaffrey. And earlier this week, I had a chance to talk to the guy who played for the 49ers before Christian McCaffrey, and that would be his dad, wide receiver Ed. Delighted to be joined now in the 33rd team by a former NFL wide receiver and three-time Super Bowl champion, Ed McCaffrey, who also happens to have the title as father of San Francisco 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey. And I've always wanted to ask a, a successful NFL player this question. Your career was phenomenal. As I said, three-time Super Bowl champ, played with the Giants, played with the 49ers, and, and uh, won two Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos with my good friend Mark Schlereth. What's it like seeing your son sort of eclipse the things you were able to do from a, a, a personal standpoint in terms of their own statistical dominance in the NFL? Yeah, it's really surreal. It's been pretty unbelievable. You know, I feel blessed. When I was uh, playing and after I retired, I tried not to have any, you know, Super Bowl trophies or rings laying around just because living in Colorado, didn't want to put any pressure on the kids to have to play football at all or, su or succeed at any level. Um, we just encouraged them to do whatever it is they wanted to do. But Christian always took to football. Um, since he was seven, it's been his favorite thing to do. And now I'm Christian's dad. So it, it feels it feels a little different. I mean, he's playing with guys that were, you know, his age growing up in Little League and in college. And his friends are, you know, superstars in the NFL. Uh, he's still my son, right? He's still my right. kid. But it's just the NFL seems different to me now. And I'm just so incredibly happy, like any any father would, right, that their kid's doing something they love to do. He, he really lives and breathes football. There's nothing he'd rather be doing. So that makes me more happy than anything. Whatever he's doing, as long as he's loving it, just happens to be it's football, something that I got to do that I understand and I love as well. And so happy for him. And um, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, they say records are made to be broken and all that kind of stuff. But as a competitor, is there any part of you that still says, like, hey, don't take away all my shine, man? No, you know, as a parent, man, you're just yeah. rooting for your kids no matter what they're doing, man, whether it's in the classroom yeah. or, uh, you know, they played multiple sports growing up or whether they're part of the chess club, whatever it is. It's just you just encourage them, right? Let them know, look, I love you. I'm here for you. And, like, whatever I can do to help you, you know, chase your dreams, let me know. And, I'm here if you need me, but more, you know, mostly I'm just enjoying the ride and, and really just excited for him. And so, you know, I hope he, you know, his ultimate goal, the kid loves to win like most pro athletes, right? Right. And the ultimate goal is, is to win a Super Bowl. And I, I hope and wish for him to be able to do that one day. And they got a pretty good team this year. They're one of the circle of teams that has a chance, right? And so hopefully, 
you know, hopefully it's in the cards. But, um, you know, he, he uses that uh, saying day by day, like so many people do, one day at a time, one practice. But really, that's where you get the joy out of this sport. You know, it's like every yeah. day going to work, loving what you're doing. And you hope the good things will happen if you keep doing it. And so, uh, you know, nothing I can do to control that, but uh, it's certainly fun to watch. Obviously, when he was drafted in the first round, second running back taken in the first round of 2017 by the Carolina Panthers, that's a dream come true. He plays well for them. He gets the big contract. But then Carolina sort of fell apart, and they're in disarray right now. What was the family's reaction when you learned, oh, my God, not only is he getting traded, he's going to the 49ers? Yeah, we were incredibly excited. I think at first, Lisa and I were more excited than he was. I mean, we loved Carolina, and Christian loved Carolina. I grew yeah. up in North Carolina. Um, our son, oldest son, Max, went to Duke. So we had, we had a lot of connection to the Carolinas. And, uh, and Christian was there five and a half years. Absolutely loved it. Had a lot of friends there, um, not only as teammates, but people in the state of Carolina in the community. So it was, it was rougher for him, right? He's leaving a place that he loved for five and a half years um, to go 3,000 miles away across the country to play for another team. Lisa and I, obviously, you know, I played with John Lynch in college, their general right. manager. Kyle was the ball boy at the 49ers. And even though Christian was probably too young to remember, babysat Christian at one point. You know, Mike Shanahan's greatest coach of all time in my book, soon to be a Hall of Fame head coach who uh, coaches through two Super Bowls here in Denver. And, and, you know, Bobby Turner was the running backs coach, Anthony Lynn, Brian Greasy. I mean, the list goes on and on. So Jed York, the owner, I just, I know how well they treat their players, how they invest in their, their organization, the quality of the coaches that they had. So, so Lisa and I were really excited. Uh, plus, we went to Stanford. He went to Stanford. You know, know a lot right. of people out in the Bay. And so we were really excited. But he he didn't really know Kyle. I mean, you think you know someone and there's a family connection. But when he went out there, one of the first things they did was meet. Head coach Kyle Shanahan and Christian met and tried to get to know each other. And they acknowledged, hey, look, I know our families know each other, but you don't know me and I don't know you. Right. Obviously, you traded for me for a reason. But this is what I'm about. And Head coach Kyle Shanahan would tell Christian what he was about, and Christian would tell Kyle what he's about. But really, and then you're going into a locker room full of veteran leaders, right? This wasn't a rebuild. Carolina's still in a rebuild, right? They're, Correct. They're in a rebuild. They have been. They had a different starting quarterback for six years, different owners, multiple different head coaches, multiple different coordinators, multiple different running back coaches. So the whole time there, after his first year when they went to the playoffs, and then Cam retired and Keekley retired and Olsen retired, all their star yeah. players kind of retired and they started to rebuild – um, it was a rebuild, um, you know, for four and a half years after that. This is not a rebuild. The 49ers team has a lot of talented players, great coaches, has been winning. So it was exciting for him to get into that locker room. But, you know, talk is one thing. It's just every day going to practice, showing what you're all about. First one in, last one to leave. Show that you're willing to be unselfish and be part of the team and do whatever it takes. That's the stuff that's earned. Right, that's how you earn respect right. with your teammates, and so I I knew it would happen, but you know it's still he still had to go through that process of of going to practice and meetings and lifting sessions and being there in the off season, which I think really helped him this past year, and earning the respect of his teammates. And what a great group of guys! I mean, these guys aren't just talented, but as as a coach, it's somebody, it's a team you would want to coach. These guys right. are dialed in; they get after it. Well, listen, it, it, he's the first running back for the 49ers with a 1,000-yard season since Frank Gore in 2014. He's had a 1,000-1,000 season in his past in Carolina, 1,000 receiving, 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yards rushing. But, but specifically when you mention Kyle, um, you had to 
sort of loved the idea that he was going to be a running back in Kyle Shanahan's system because just like his dad, who had, you know, whether it was, whether it was Terrell Davis, uh, Mike Anderson, Orlandis Gary, you know, a lot of guys ran for 1,000 yards in Mike Shanahan's offense. I'm not sure there's a better offense for a running back to flourish in than Kyle's. Yeah, and it's really the type of running back he is. I mean, you mentioned uh, Frank Gore, who's with the organization, by the way. I got to yeah. meet him when I was out there. What an awesome guy and incredible career he had. Um, glad that he's part of the part of the team still. Um, and they had a good exchange. That's the kind of thing that's kind of cool too, right? Older generations and younger generations communicating. Um, but the game has changed a lot. It is, it's not run, run, pass anymore. It's like you could pass on every down, throw the ball 50, 60 times in a game. And the running back position has changed. Um, you see the first round pick last year, John Robinson, right? Um, is a, is a guy that can run routes out of the backfield. So that, that position has changed so much because of the passing game in the NFL. And I knew when Christian went out to San Francisco, Kyle would know how to use him. He knows how to use him as a runner. Obviously, uh, you know, one of the best rushing offenses in the league. I was shocked to hear they hadn't had a thousand yard rusher since 2014, but they've had yeah. a lot of good running backs over the years, but more than anything, he, he, you know, Kyle is, is a master of mismatches, whether it's Kittle or BA or Debo on the outside or using use check, you know, he knows how to put his guys in positions to make plays. And at the running back position, it's changed so much. The best running backs are utilized in the passing game and not just as check downs, right? It's not right. just check A, check B, flat routes to, to hold a, a flat defender. Now it's you're, you're going to be running double moves on safeties or linebackers. Now there's these choice routes where you have three or four different options. Got to be on the same page with the quarterback. Like that's the skill set Christian has. Yeah. Uh, he's really good at it. And Kyle, Kyle knows how to use them in that way. And so that's why I was excited because it's not just, you know, you know, run first down, run second down. Hey, you know, check down if nobody's open in the passing game. It's like we're going to use you as a number one um, in the progression occasionally in the passing game. And we're going to see how they defend you and Kittle at the same time, or if they leave BA all alone, or what are they going to do with Debo who lines up in the backfield or in the slot? So Kyle's just so good at it, um, and and it takes a lot of pressure off Christian and not have to carry the team. Well, I, I remember one of the smartest things he ever did in his pre-draft process was at his Stanford Pro Day. He didn't run; all he did was run routes, you know, to show that I can do this. I can be a receiving threat besides just the checkdowns. And what is it like for you as a dad to know that your son and his skill set is sort of the template that everyone looks for at the running back position in an era where the running back position, quite frankly, if you're not a Christian McCaffrey, has been devalued? Yeah, you're right. Um, the game has changed. So we knew that. I mean, he at Stanford, he ran between the tackles as much as any running back in the country. Exactly. It was really one of the, re it was, it was one of the reasons we chose to go to Stanford because there were so few pro-style offenses around. Everything's changing to spread and, uh, you know, third down backs being uh, in the backfield uh, throughout the game, up-tempo offenses. And he wanted out of high school to prove, hey, I'm not just a third down back. I'm not just a guy that can make plays in space and run routes. You know, I'm a guy that runs between the tackles. So that's one of the reasons he went to Stanford and had a phenomenal career running between the tackles at Stanford. So check that box. That was proven in college. You can just go back and watch the tape. So, you know, how at the pro day, how could he separate himself? Well, he's the best route running running back of all time. He is. There's never been a better running back at running routes. He's a receiver or a running back. He could play slot receiver if he wanted to um, in the NFL. So 
Um, let's show that off a little bit at the pro day. Let's show that he runs routes not like a running back. These aren't check downs or a, a basic Texas route or a flat or something like that. We're going to run, you know, stutter comebacks and we're going to run double moves and we're going to run routes outside the numbers. And that, so that, that was very intentional to show that, look, if you want the type of back that is going to be successful in the NFL moving forward on every down, not just on first and second down, then we're going to show that he can do those types of things. And he did great. He crushed it yeah. in his pro day. Absolutely. And he also had to play a little quarterback in the NFC Championship game last year out of, <laughs> out of necessity. Um, so, as I said earlier, you, you, won, you won three of these things. Super Bowl 29 with the San Francisco 49ers and Super Bowls 32 and 33 with the Denver Broncos. As you look at Christian and this San Francisco 49ers team as it's presently constructed, they just walked in and beat up on Philadelphia in Philadelphia. Do you see a Super Bowl caliber championship team not getting there, but sealing the deal with this 49er squad? They absolutely have a chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I played too long, right? Watched too much football to guarantee anything. We had the best team in the NFL <laughs> back in 1996. Oh, I right? remember. And, and had, you lost to Jacksonville. One bad game, man. Yeah. You know, you just you're you're off just a little bit. In one game, the Super Bowl is not even just about the Super Bowl. It's like you got to get to the Super Bowl to even play yeah. the game. So you got to beat a lot of really good teams. You know, it's a game of attrition. You hope you have all your guys playing their best ball in the biggest games for a series of games, and then you know, finally in the Super Bowl, hopefully you can get it done. But there one, there's a handful of teams. You know, I don't need to mention them. You know who they are. Yeah. There's a handful right. of teams who have enough talent and great coaching to to make a run at this, and the 49ers are one of them. Yeah, they certainly are, and they, they sort of established their presence with that win over Philadelphia. For, for those that don't know, your family on both sides is one of the most ridiculously athletic families of all time. As I said, you played forever, three Super Bowl rings. Your brother, Billy, uh, won a national championship playing for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke University. Your wife was an All-American soccer player. You have Christian. I believe there's a grandfather that at one point was the fastest man in the world What's it like having that sort of athletic DNA run through the family and knowing that maybe when it's all said and done, Christian might be the most accomplished uh, McCaffrey athlete? Yeah, no, it's great. You know what? When you grow up around a bunch of great athletes, you know, it's not that big of a deal to be a great athlete. There's, you know, everybody seems to be. But I know we have an A-Town connection, right? We talked before yeah. the show. We got a little Allentown connection. And uh, that, that's kind of cool. Yeah, my, in my side of the family, we talked about, I like to brag about my uh, scoring record at my high school, Allentown Central Catholic. That was broken by my sister in less than a year, and then my brother yeah. less than a year after that. And then Marcel Marciniak, who we know yeah, is absolutely. a phenomenal uh, player who got inducted into the Lehigh Valley Hall of Fame couple years ago attended that event and so we were a big basketball school and uh and so I grew up I was the only football player in my family and then uh you know tons of athletes on Lisa's side Lisa got to play with Julie Fowley at Stanford and Mia Hamm that was before there was a women's Olympic team decent, you know, you always decent squad what what, yeah. what what could have happened right like if uh you know if she was a couple years younger and there was the Olympic team but she's a phenomenal athlete and Christian definitely gets a lot of his skill from her as well. You know what he really got from her was that flop that he had in the Philly game. She taught him how to do that playing <laughs> soccer. Hey, listen. I hope she's not listening. Oh, but, uh, we'll make sure we send but, it to her then. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> anyway, no, it's it's just and it's, his brothers are athletes and they always played you know football, basketball, baseball, track, lacrosse. 
and uh, they're just, they've always taken to sports, and it's been pretty cool. Ed, always good to catch up with you. Uh, we'll always have Allentown, and best of luck to you and the family in the holidays, <laughs> and we'll see what happens with Christian this year, okay? Thanks for having me on the show. Happy holidays. All right, Chase, so Sunday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys do what they had to do. They dismantled the Philadelphia Eagles, winning big in this game by 20 points. What do you make of what you saw from Dallas? Because this was a game they had to win to basically justify what everyone thinks they could be. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, you know, I look at their schedule because that's really what I wanted to see because we'll, it's really we'll going to come that down in to Philly and the Cowboys. <clears throat> you look at them and we'll get to that. But, like, what I saw was a team that was far and away the better team without a doubt on the field. And quite honestly, in my opinion, second behind the 49ers in the NFC. And they, they, they did this – and quite honestly, if you go back and watch the game, which I did, and Dak's performance in Philly when they played, they should have won that game too because he played Correct. his ass off in that game. And this would have been a completely different story going in. But now both teams 10-3. and three. This, I mean, this was a must-win for the Dallas Cowboys. And it's not only how they won, but um, and it's not only that they won it, but it's how they won, right? Like complete dismantling, complete embarrassment, really. Philadelphia doesn't look right. Their offense doesn't look right. They didn't score a touchdown on offense, right? So Cowboys defense, give them their flowers. They're playing at an absolutely insane rate right now. And it was just, it was fun to watch, man. Like it was, it was cool seeing Dak go out there against a pretty good defense in Philly and just dismantle them. And that's, that's the thing that I like this whole takeaway was like, Dak is playing the best ball of his career, and it's not even close. And quite honestly, it's coming at a time when Dallas needs it the most. And so that's what was the most exciting part, maybe as a Dallas Cowboy fan. And all these fans are like, and I, and I, I get it all the time on my Twitter, or X. Like, I get it all the time. Like, people are saying, hey, look, it's like, Twitter. we haven't beat X anyone. Ridiculous. We haven't done yeah. anything. Yeah, you're right, it's Twitter. But we haven't, we haven't beat anyone. We haven't done anything. Yada, yada, yada. Well, you beat Philly. Like, Philly's a damn good team. And you beat Seattle. They're a pretty good team. They gave San Fran today all they wanted. And so you just got to believe as a Dallas fan. I know it's hard because you're saying, oh, we're just going to lose in the divisional round by 20 to San Fran like we have the last two years. But at this, for some reason, this, this looks different to me, and it feels different to me. This team is more well-rounded than teams they've had in the past. Well, Dak is playing at an MVP level, right? Like I know you and I have talked about Brock and, and – how significant his case is for the MVP. And I think there's an opportunity for finally a non-quarterback to win the MVP with the way Terry Kill is playing, uh, and if, especially if he shatters the, 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 the receiving record and goes over 2,000 yards for the season. But is Dak a legitimate MVP candidate in your honor, in your, in your opinion, with the way things have gone? Yeah. And the crazy thing about it, there's been no Dallas Cowboys quarterbacks in the history of Dallas Cowboy quarterbacks to win the MVP, he could right. probably be the first. Emmett Smith was the only one, I think it was 92 or 93, the only other Cowboy, which is crazy to me because we say that, hey, um, it's America's team. This is, um, you know, what I, there's been, there's been no quarterbacks that have won the MVP. And quite honestly, like it would be like, first of all, like MVP, it, it's become a quarterback award. So even Tyreek puts up 2000, it's, it's not happening. Like it's not happening. In, in my opinion, if, if Dallas is able to be like win the division or get the one or two seed like it's going to Dak like I don't care how he plays the rest of the stretch the last eight games that he's played I got it somewhere I can't even pull it up but like have been insane okay he's 
201 of 290, 70% in his last eight games, 2,500 total yards, 25 total touchdowns, only two interceptions. That's the biggest thing that's not been talked about is the lack of turnovers during that time. Now, he had one tonight. It got taken back. Fletcher Cox got him. I got it. Whatever. But he's protecting the football through the air when Dallas needs him to do it the most. All right. So let's look at the remaining schedules because you talked about this. Right now, Dallas is uh, the two seed because of this win tonight, and Philadelphia is the five seed. But obviously, that changes dramatically the way things work out. For example, Philadelphia's remaining schedule. They have Seattle in Seattle. They play the Giants twice in Arizona. It's a pretty easy schedule, right? Yeah. Then you have San Francisco. Pretty easy. Yeah. Then you have San Francisco at 10 and 3. They have Arizona, Baltimore, Washington, and the Rams. Now, Baltimore is obviously the biggest, uh, the biggest obstacle for them. Then there's the yeah. Lions at 9 and 4. They have Denver, suddenly very good with the way the Sean Payton yeah. has got that team going. At Minnesota, at Dallas, then Minnesota again. And then there's Dallas. They're at Buffalo, at Miami. They have Detroit at home. And then, then Washington, at Washington. To me, Dallas by far has the toughest schedule going forward. Yeah, easily. Easily. And, and you look at it, three of the last four are on the road. Okay. And Buffalo is surging, in my opinion. We talked about them. Miami... Yep. Is Miami? I, I think Dallas is going to get that game because I just I just don't trust Miami to beat a really good team because they haven't they because they haven't they haven't done it yeah they, I mean like they haven't Detroit at home they're going to get that out Washington they'll get that so Buffalo could beat them right so you're thinking one loss between Dallas and you go to San Fran right Baltimore and the way L A Rams that L A Rams Week 18 game against San Fran could have a huge impact on the yeah. NFC playoff picture not just division winners. But also, like, who's the one, two, three seed? Now, if Philly gets by Seattle, okay, they got to go to Seattle, which is a long trip. It's cross country. I mean, they're, they're easily, I mean, they're going to be 14 and three, maybe. I mean, maybe. if they win, I mean, yeah, I mean, 13 and four or 14 and three. And that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. This whole, this whole playoff race in general, and I was talking to a buddy. I'm trying to pull it up because this is interesting to me too. I don't think it has been um, said enough is that nobody's clinched. Okay, so if the Giants beat the Packers tonight, the 49ers are in. That's the only team. But if the Packers win, we will head into week 15 with none of the 14 spots in the NFL playoffs clinched. 30 of 32 teams are alive. Talk about playoff ratings, bro. Like these last four or five weeks of the season, and if the Packers win, no teams have clinched. I cannot remember in my 14 years that a team hasn't clinched yet. Like it's crazy to me. It is. It's insane. It's setting up for a great run. But at the end of the day, Dallas did what they had to do to, to, to prove that they're legitimate. Again, sixth straight winner of Philly at home, 15th straight win at home, second longest streak in Cowboys franchise history. But all of that doesn't mean anything if they don't at least win the division. Otherwise, they're on the road in the postseason, where they won a game a year ago against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But I discount the entire NFC South in 2023 until someone has a winning record. So I don't <laughs> want to talk about any of them. I just don't. I just don't. Well, you, all right, let's, you know what another thing is interesting, though, Trey, that we didn't talk about, and, and I think we should, because it plays into effect with the Cowboys, is – 
how freaking good the Cowboys are at home. Okay, they're yeah. averaging 40.5 points per game at home. It's the third highest market 15, in NFL 15 history. straight wins at home. 15 straight wins at home. And, and so you look at that and those next four for Dallas, like that is not – okay, the division, of course you want to win the division, but you got a, you got a real shot at the one seed if you win out because I don't think San Fran is going to win out. Like I think either yep. Rams or Baltimore are going to get them. So that, that, that needs to be talked about a little bit. And, and we, we just did, we just said it, but like Dallas is elite at home, which is, which is, yep. they, they, they really want the one seed. I think like, obviously, yeah. well, they've just got to win their division to have at least a home playoff game. And they did what they needed to do tonight. We'll see if they can continue that going forward. All right. Time for rapid fire here. We had the Rams and the Ravens go to overtime on Sunday at a punt return for the score in overtime to win it. Is a kick return slash punt return the most exciting way to end a game in the NFL? I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's only been four in NFL history, right? Two yeah. of them this year, which is crazy to me. I mean, that, and, and by the way, that guy, I mean, what's it, what's it, we got to get his name because he was the backup punt returner. Back you don't think you just made return. rosters yeah. for the rest of your career because you just returned to – I mean, that was – I was not expecting it to, to be that game. But what a, what a crazy end to that game, too. That was one of the better games of the early slate, I think, in my opinion. All right, we talked about Joe Flacco earlier, right? And he hasn't played much. But with the way he, he's played for Cleveland – is he the comeback player of the year already? Because Kevin Stefanski has now said he's the starting quarterback going forward. It's like, Kevin, what the hell were you waiting for? But there's no other, like, dominant yeah, story out, out there. there. That's what I was that, 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 that's, that's the question. Like, is there some other guy that's come back from this massive injury or, or personal issue that he's had to do this? I'm not sure that Joe Flacco isn't that guy right now. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, that that is... I mean, I just I go back to the fact that he was on his trade. He was on his couch two yeah. weeks ago, and now yeah. he's thrown for like five hundred some odd yards, five touchdowns. Has got the Browns in the thick of the playoff race. And honestly, like he, the crazy thing about it, we didn't mention it. He's still on practice squad, bro. He has not been elevated as of today. Like he he's still on yeah. practice squad. Somebody can come poach him, so he's probably gonna get elevated pretty pretty quickly. Well, Stefanski said he's the starter going forward. It's like, what were you waiting for, right? All right, so yeah. despite the win Thursday night in Pittsburgh, the Patriots are the first team, along with the Carolina Panthers, to be eliminated from postseason. Not a surprise in either situation. How soon before Bill Belichick is eliminated as the head coach of the New England Patriots? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's done. And it's not going to be like one of those things where he's – first of all, he's not going to get fired. Like – Second of all, no. it's going to be a mutual parting of ways. And Correct. he has got to decide, does he want to do media? Which I saw him on College Game Day in that Navy helmet. I thought that was so funny. Like, hilarious. Like, wouldn't it be crazy? And Al Michaels and Kirk Herbst, you talk about this. And, and it's, not, it's not off the wall. Um, but wouldn't it be crazy if Fox hired Belichick to be with Brady? In the booth? Well, like, well for, first of all, let me... Let, good for, TV. It would be, but let me be clear. I don't think Tom Brady is ever going to call a game for a box, right? Like, oh. I just want to be... Uh, I'm putting okay. this up there. Like, Greg Olson... First of all, Greg Olson good is for Greg so Olson. good at it. Yeah. He is so good at it. If Tom Brady is better than Greg Olson, then good for you. But I think at the end of the day, Tom will find a way, and Fox will find a way, to pay him all this money... 
to be more of a marketing brand yeah. than a play-by-play yeah. guy. Like, if Tom wants to do this, good for him. But if Fox doesn't realize how good Greg Olson is with Burkhart, and Burkhart yeah. is also I mean, he's, great. He, he's really, really good. Then yeah. they've screwed this up across the chain. So my plea to Fox would be, find a way to use Tom to help you market your product and do all these things great. Let Greg Olson be what he is, which is a great yeah. fucking analyst of football games. He is. Yeah. Let, let Tom yeah. Brady be your cover boy. Yeah, he does a bunch of modeling. Thank you. In his free wow, time. It's, like, yeah. it's like I've said this before. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Got a couple more things here going forward. Uh, Shohei Atani signs for $700 million over the next 10 years. Our friend Adam Schefter put out a bunch of uh, teams that combined. <laughs> did, like, and this is sort of, you know, kind of ridiculous because like includes the Green Bay Packers from the 1920s <laughs> that didn't add up to $700 million. Is this the point in the season where NFL players just have to turn themselves off to the deals baseball players or basketball players are getting because – the numbers will never be the same. Yeah, I mean, there's, they'll never be the same for a couple reasons. One, less or more players, like way more, right? Um, and number two, what, what we've always talked about in the union, and, and I mean, dude, I love that Otani got, got $700 million. A lot of people don't understand this, and I'm here to tell you, is right when he signs uh, his name on that contract, every single penny of that contract is guaranteed guaranteed he could blow his arm out tomorrow and he gets 700 million dollars and other than deshaun watson and kirk cousins that has never really happened before and that's the biggest thing and obviously people well why well the injury rate is 100 percent in the nfl it's a much more physical game but i think people look at that and agents look at that and players look at that and say i want fully guaranteed contracts well it's going to be hard to do. Well, once Deshaun Watson got his $230 million guaranteed, I thought, well, that's the next wave of how it's going to be in the NFL. Hasn't happened. And I, think, I don't think it's collusion, but the owners have absolutely said, yeah, we're not doing that. And we're not seeing that you, in our you, future. You want to know how that will change, Trey? And we've talked about it. Yeah. Have all your 32 starting quarterbacks – Sit out until it's yeah. finalized. Sit out it's the only and way. you will not have a product to put on that field. Don't go yeah. to training camp. Like actually, even if you get fined, like for the greater good, that 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 is the type of group effort it would take to have an impact. And quite honestly, I don't think people are gonna wanna do it. I don't think quarterbacks are gonna wanna do it, so it'll never happen. It's like the running backs. Like, we had all these calls. and I was, Oh, will you give me a little more money? Sure, I'm going to sign. And that was it for Saquon yeah. Barkley and Josh Jacobs yeah. and Jonathan yeah. Taylor across the board. All right, last thing here uh, as, we, as we wrap up. To your point about guaranteed contracts and everything else going forward, um, do we feel in any way, shape, or form like that landscape will ever change in the NFL because of what we saw from the Deshaun Watson deal? I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it was, yeah. I think it was, they, they were so, they were so desperate to get them at the time. And I don't know if it's paid dividends and, and, and quite honestly, owners that, that, so that's, that's another thing, Trey. And I know you know this, but there's a lot of our viewers that don't, it's one, it's, it's one thing that's a massive blow to players 
into our union on why there are not guaranteed contracts. And that thing is called the funding rule. Okay. Yep. For people that don't know what the funding rule is, it is such a pain in the ass. And it's, it's such a little thing that you can take out, but teams and owners refuse to take it out of collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners. And what the funding rule is, is if you give Deshaun Watson 230 some odd million dollars and you guarantee it all, the day that the contract is signed, the owner, the Haslam's have to put 230 some odd million dollars in an escrow account in the bank that is out of their bank account. Okay. And it goes into escrow in a different bank account that is no longer the owner. That is the number one thing why we will not. And the reason why we will not have guaranteed contracts because of that small rule. Yep. It, it, it's nothing they can do and nothing they can manipulate. So we'll see what happens going forward. All right, Chase. Appreciate you, brother. And uh, uh, still wearing the same shirt earlier in the day. So, like, you, you yeah. went through this whole thing today and you you didn't change, which oh. I appreciate. I didn't change. I didn't change. I got, I got back in the shirt. Never change. That's the most important thing. <laughs> Be who you are. All right, brother. We'll talk to Be you next who week. Who you are. 